This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. We've been teaching for the last several weeks a series entitled Steps to Answered Prayer. This is one of those things that I really ought to teach once a year, each and every year. Uh, we don't. We, we get involved in other things, and many of my series go 32 weeks anyway, so, so we don't always make time for it. But this is something that is good for us to go back, and no matter how many times we've heard it, to go back over it again and again and again. Because there's nothing more important than you knowing how to get an answer to your prayer. And the Bible says God wants you to have answers to your prayers. Now, we've looked previously at the Scripture that tells us that there are different kinds of prayer, and there are different rules that govern those different types of prayer. And so one mistake that it seems that the modern-day church, and I don't think it's exclusive to this day, but certainly is prevalent in this day, that the modern-day church tries to put all kinds of prayer in the sack, mix it up together, and dump it out. And as a result, they wind up using or trying to use the principles that govern one type of prayer for other types of prayer, and it doesn't work. As Brother Hagin used to say, it'd be kind of like trying to play ba uh, basketball with football rules. And that doesn't work. It doesn't bring results. And a lot of people, because they fail to get results in prayer, they know they pray earnestly. They know they're, they're sincere in their desire for God to do something for them. But because they don't receive answers to their prayer, they lose confidence in God. Well, folks, God's never the problem. If you want to take away line from this morning's service, God's never the problem. If there's a problem, it's got to be on our end. It's got to be on our end. Now, here it says in John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Please notice that he puts the responsibility for answered prayer on you and me, not on God. I know that makes a lot of people flinch, but the fact of the matter is God's given you the tools to get an answer to your prayer every time. It's up to us whether or not we're going to utilize those principles. In in um, Oh, what's his name? Mark. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the story of the, par uh, the parable or the story of the sower sowing the word. And his disciples come to him and ask him, what does this mean? And he makes a statement to them. It's about in verse 13, 12, 13, somewhere around there. He makes a statement that unto them, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, it was given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. The mystery of the kingdom of God. Well, what's a mystery? A mystery is something that's not easily seen. A mystery is something that's hidden or shielded from view. And Jesus seems to be saying, the information I'm giving you, my disciples, and if it belongs to them, it belongs to us too. The information I'm giving you will help you uncover and disclose that which is hidden from view. That are those principles which the whole kingdom of God ro rotates and revolves around. Thank God we're privileged to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Amen. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Notice verse 8. 
He says, herein is my Father glorified. Herein, in this manner, you having what you will, you getting your prayers answered. In this manner, or herein, is my Father glorified that you bear, that you bear much fruit. God wants you to bear prayer fruit. In other words, he wants you to get answers to your prayers. It glorifies him when you get answers, not when you fail to get answers. I was reminded of something I hadn't thought about in a long time. When I was a kid, uh, probably up until the time I was maybe 11, something like that, my dad had a, uh, a lake house. Now, before you start thinking elaborate, <laughs> this place was just an excuse for dad have, to have somewhere to go fishing. It was a cabin that was, couldn't have been seven or 800 square feet. And we were on a lake. It wasn't a big lake, but we were at the far end of the lake. And the place where we were, right off the shoreline, it was real shallow, mossy bottom, lots of weeds. Wasn't a place you really wanted to go swimming. We did because we were kids, and that's just what you do. But it really wasn't a place that you'd want to go swimming. It was strictly for dad to go fishing. So I, I didn't go fishing much. But we had a boat, not very big, and it had a, a little electric motor on the back, trolling motor. It probably didn't generate two horsepower. Well, we'd get in that boat, my brother and I would get in that boat, and we'd go around there, staying close to the house, to the cabin, and so forth. And because of all the underwater reeds and junk and everything else, I could not get back home without getting everything gummed up in that motor. Day after day after day after day after day. Now, my dad could get out there and miss every weed. He could get to the deep part of the lake. He knew just where it was. There was a place, one path that was cleared out so that you could come to and forth, you know, go back and forth from the deep part of the lake to the, to the dock. And he never missed. That electric motor was just as clean as a whistle for him. But every time I'd try, I'd wind up stuck in the weeds. Every time. Well, we wound up going up there one time, and uh, I don't know if the family knew it was planned. I didn't know anything about it. They didn't say anything to me. But they had drained the lake to do some maintenance or do some work on it or whatever. And so when I walked out to the, to the edge of the lake, where the edge of the lake used to be, all the water's gone, and I can see crystal clear where that pathway was. It went out like this and had a turn, and the turn always got me. It would go out and make a turn and then come back out like that. Well, the mystery of the underwater passageway had been forever solved for me. Once I saw where it was, when the lake refilled, I could get in and out without ever having any more trouble. Now, folks, the kingdom of God is governed by spiritual principles. And those spiritual principles are by and large hidden and mysterious to so much of the church world. Not because God doesn't want us to know, but because he wants us to dig and draw nearer to him to find out what they are. But once we find out what they are, then we ought to be able to navigate through our prayer life successfully 100% of the time. That's true, isn't it? Amen. 
Well, that's what Jesus is telling us here. That's why the Bible refers to things the way that it does. You need to understand that if you're not willing, if anyone, not you just specifically, but anyone, any child of God that's not willing to find out what the principles are and to operate by them, God will let you not get answers to your prayers. It's not his fault. If the word provides us the answers and we don't utilize them so that we can pray effectively and get results every time, then that's on us, not him. God will let you go without things that Jesus paid for you to have if you refuse to operate by spiritual principles. Paul writing to the church in uh, Corinth, first letter that he wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said something like this. He said, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. You're not going to know spiritual principles by physical things. He says, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. He says, they're foolishness unto the natural man, which means spiritual principles don't always make sense to people on the outside. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you want, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. God wants nothing more than you for you to get answers to your prayers. But whether we do or not is up to us, as we said. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 tells us that we have overcome the world, and this is the victory that overcometh even our faith. Well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the prayer of faith. Now, the prayer of faith could be defined by any number of characteristics that the Bible reveals to us. For example, the Bible says about God and his operation of faith that he calleth things that be not as though they are. So the prayer of faith could be called the prayer that calls things that be not as though they are. Prayer is also identified in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, as the prayer that believes that it receives when it prays. So we could use that definition for prayer. The prayer of faith. The prayer that believes that it receives when it prays. Now Jesus did not just pray the prayer of faith in his ministry. He prayed all kinds of different kinds of prayers and so will we. But Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane said, Father, this is not the prayer of faith that he's praying in that instance. He said, if, this, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, meaning the crucifixion. I believe he's drawing back from spiritual death. I don't believe he's drawing back just from physical death. But he knows he's going to be separated from his father. He knows he's going to be made sin. So he knows his father's plan of redemption is for him to be raised again the third day. We know that he knew that because he taught the disciples plainly that that was what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem at the appointed time. So he's praying a prayer of consecration or dedication of his life to God even though he doesn't want it to be that way. He knows that it's the only way that the price can be paid. So he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now that phrase, not my will, but your will be done, has been co-opted by the modern day church for just about every kind of prayer that they pray. Well, the problem is you can't pray in faith by saying, if it be your will, because faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know what the will of God is, you cannot, it is impossible for you to pray the prayer of faith.
Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven to say that for you, you are free from the influence of sickness and disease. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Jesus certainly didn't stand before Lazarus' tomb and say, Father, if it be your will, Lazarus, come on out here. Wouldn't that have been silly? But the reality is, if Jesus had said that, then he wouldn't have gotten any results either because he was bound to operate by God's principles. James talking about the prayer of faith, he said this. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith. Well, that'd be the prayer of faith then, wouldn't it? Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. He said, let not that man, the man that wavers, let not that man think that he should receive anything from the Lord. Well, that tells us two different things. It tells us the prayer of faith is the prayer that changes things or receives things from God. But the prayer of faith is always the prayer that doesn't waver. It's the prayer that receives and the prayer that doesn't waver. So when Jesus is telling us that if we abide in him and his, word, his will, which would be his word, abides in us, then we'll ask what we will. Now, how is that or why is that the criteria? Well, it's very simple. If you know the word of God, you know what the will of God is. And once you know what the will of God is, you can act accordingly. Jesus standing before Lazarus' tomb said this. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and that you hear me always. He was just saying that for the benefit of the people that were around there. So Jesus had already prayed about Lazarus. He had already come to the understanding through talking and fellowshipping with his heavenly father of what was going to be. He had already told his disciples before he went, took the three days journey to get to where Lazarus was. He had told them that Lazarus will rise again. They didn't get it. They, didn't, they either didn't understand it or didn't believe it or both. But Jesus had already talked to his father about it. So when he stood before Lazarus' tomb, he knew exactly what the will of God was. Isn't it interesting that nowhere did Jesus ever have to stop and pray during his earthly ministry to find out if it was the will of God to heal somebody. Because that seems to be step number one for most of the church. They'll pray, Lord, heal our brother or heal our sister if it be your will. I guess the unspoken part of that is, and if it's not your will, just let them die. Jesus never did that. For all the ministers and all the preachers that have said that God sometimes uses sickness to teach us, now, folks, we know that that can't be the truth all the time. Because if we were sick because we were in the will of God to learn something, then us trying to get well by going to a doctor would be sin. And if sickness was the teacher that God uses, then it would behoove us 
to pray, Lord, make us sicker. Nobody's willing to be honest about it like that. The group that says God makes people sick to teach us something won't finish the thought. Thank God he doesn't. Thank God he never uses sickness. If God was to use sickness, if God was to put it on you, where would he get it? He didn't make it. At the end of his six days of creation, he looked at the earth and said, this is very good. And there was nothing that was there to hurt or harm mankind. Sickness was not present. Well, the Bible says on the sixth day, at the end of the sixth day, God made an end to everything he created. So that, that means he could not have come back after the fact and created sickness in order for the Bible to be true. Now, Jesus knew what the will of God was in every situation. He knew sickness was always of the devil. He knew healing was always the will of God. So he simply looked for faith and taught people about the character and the nature of God and about the kingdom of God and what God wanted for us or wanted for them when he was here and operated or ministered accordingly. Most of the things in life can be identified as to what God's will is in his word. Now, there are some specifics about our life that we're going to have to find out on our own. We're going to have to find out in prayer when it comes to where we live, what kind of job we get, and things like that. The Bible doesn't tell us any of that. So those are things that we have to find out from God by fellowshipping with him and letting him speak to our hearts. But outside of that, most everything else in life, the vast majority, 98% plus of things that we deal with in life, you can find out what God's will is by looking at his word. And that's why Jesus put the criteria of the word abiding in you in this verse. If you abide in me, well, that's your choice. And if my word abides in you, that's your choice too. Then you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. It shall be done unto you. Well, we're talking about the principles or the steps to answer prayer, and these are the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But thank God he's revealed them to us. So we'll go through the first three real quickly, and then we'll get to one, the step number four. Step number one is decide what you want from God. Decide what you want from God. You're going to have to be specific when you pray the prayer of faith. Now, if somebody went to the grocery store, got their cart, started pushing around the store, going up aisle after aisle, sooner or later, somebody that works there is going to say, ask if they could help you. And if you responded, well, I just want some groceries, and went back to pushing your cart, by the middle of the afternoon, they're going to have called somebody to come get you But you could send a little child to the store and tell them to get a loaf of bread and they can come out with it. So when it comes to the prayer of faith, you're going to have to be specific. Decide what you want from God. And then there's another part to that, and that is find the scriptures that tell you that it's yours. Find the scriptures that promise you what you want from God and meditate on those scriptures. Get those scriptures firmly fixed in your heart, not just in your mind so that you're ready to use them against the devil when he comes, because he will. No point in being afraid of it. You can overcome him by quoting the word just like Jesus did, but he will come. So be ready to use those scriptures 
against him when he shows up. Now, step number two becomes real simple. Pray and believe you receive when you pray. Mark eleven twenty four. 24, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Talking about your desires again. And again, if the word is abiding in you, then you know what God's will is. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now people get bent out of shape about when. When is my answer going to come? When is the Lord going to move? When? And the only when that the Bible talks about is concerning the time of your prayer. When you pray, believe that you receive them. Not when you see them, then believe. And I think a lot of people unconsciously are doing that very thing. They're waiting until they see the result before they believe in the result. Which means, which ensures that you'll never see the result. The devil wants you to think about time. God wants you to focus on truth. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them right then when you pray, and you shall have them. John said it this way, 1 John chapter 5, about verse 14, I think it is. He said it this way. He said, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will or his word, there's one and the same. If we ask anything according to his will, then he hears us. And if, literally, since we know he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we ask for. Now, what does that mean? That means the key to getting God to hear and answer your prayer is the word of God. That's why step number one is find the scriptures that promise you what you want and get them firmly fixed in your heart and not just in your mind. If we know that he hears us, then we know we have the answer. If we know or since we know that praying his word means he hears us, then we can get an answer every time. We can get an answer every time. So step number two is the easiest part of this. Ask God for what you want, what you found scriptures for that promise you, what you're asking for, and believe that you receive those things when you pray. Now, step number three starts the prayer fight. Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. We can't be talking about him getting saved. Timothy's already the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So when he says lay hold on eternal life, he's not talking about come to Jesus and give your heart to him. He's talking about taking hold of all the things that Jesus purchased for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Because there is a fight to faith. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence since the time of John the Baptist until his appearing, Jesus' ministry, culminating in the cross. He said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, violence and the violent take it by force. What force is he talking about? It's got to be the fight of faith that Paul wrote to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Well, how do you do that? Well, you're going to have to guard your heart. You're going to have to take hold of every thought. Remove every thought that does not contribute to your faith that you believed you received when you prayed. Now, thoughts are governed by observations, associations, and teachings. So you're going to have to be careful about places you go 
about teachings that you hear and people that you hang around with. It'll destroy your faith. Listening to the wrong people. Do you realize some people's, many people's, prayer life is a disaster and is a failure because of the church they go to? Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. One translation of that verse says it this way. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. People have died for saying the wrong things. People have died for saying the wrong things. Do you realize some people's life has been cut short because of churches they go to? Now, I know people pick churches based on a variety of things. Very few of them are based on the thing that it should be based on. And that is the word. When Jesus talked about the mysteries that govern the kingdom of God, he talked about your attitude toward the word. He didn't talk about comfortable pews. He didn't talk about short sermons. He didn't talk about people with personality. But you're going to have to be ready. You're going to have to be ready with an answer when the devil comes. But you took step one. Remember, you put those scriptures that promise you what you want in your heart, not just in your mind. So now you're ready to use those things. But you're going to have to guard your mind. You're going to have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Refuse to think anything that doesn't contribute to your faith. And I'm talking about your faith about the thing that you ask God for. Remove every impression, every feeling, every dream, everything that does not contribute to your affirmation of faith that God has heard you, heard your prayer, and that you believe you receive. Refuse to allow anything to stay in your mind. Now, you can't stop the thoughts from coming to your mind, but you can stop whether or not they stay there. You can't help who comes to your front door, but you can help who you invite inside. Now, the Bible says, Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, we've talked about verse 24 about the prayer of faith, but he talks about the principle of faith in verse 23. <clears throat> and he said this, he said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, so faith has something to do with what you say. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And this is the only requirement or, or warning he gave to us. And shall not doubt in his heart. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if faith is of the heart and faith is of the heart, uh, faith that is of the heart is defined by speaking God's word, no matter the circumstances, but declaring and speaking God's word, those specific promises that guarantee that you'll get an answer to your prayer, that tell you that God wants you to have what you want him to give you. If speaking those promises, those verses of Scripture, is faith of the heart, then doubt of the heart would have to be speaking anything else. The Word of God tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. That means to live like God's Word is true. Train yourself so that no matter what happens in life, your first question is, what does the Bible say about this? Then do what it says and watch the blessings of God come to pass. 
Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. And folks, God will let you walk in unbelief. He doesn't want you to, but you're the one with authority in your life. You decide whether you're going to be in faith. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.